People need to be able to put things into place, to say, okay, this is what's happening now, what can I do with it? You have to find a way to put it all into perspective so that you don't wear yourself out. Hi, I'm Bobby. After being a caregiver for my father-in-law for a number of years and experiencing firsthand exactly what it's like to be a caregiver, I knew I wanted to support caregivers going forward. I'm now a certified caregiver consultant, educator, and caregiver support group leader. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver. We offer practical insights, share some emotional support, and we might even share a laugh or two. We all know laughter's the best medicine. And it helps to have a glass of wine along with it. And you know I never forget (laughs) your wine. (laughs) And I appreciate that. Most families don't plan on being caregivers. It's something that is really thrust upon them, and they certainly don't realize the life changes that are about to happen when, when they do become caregivers. That's absolutely right. Um, we're, all of us are fine until we're not. And even people like us who began to think about, you know, caring for one or more of our parents eventually, it's always that eventually. We don't expect it to happen when it does. And that was certainly true in our case. And uh, it's also one of the things that we're working on teaching people about now is, you know, how to prepare to care. But you're absolutely right. Most of us always think of it as someday, if at all. Which brings us to today's guest. She's known as the Mindset Muse. She's an author, blogger, podcaster who specializes in giving love, support, and guidance to those who unexpectedly find themselves in the role of caregiver. With over 45 years of collective experience in this field, she helps women live through adversities of being a caregiver, juggling emotions, career, family, and schedules, and keeping it all together to smile through any adversity. We are very pleased to welcome the Mindset Muse, Sandra Manga. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for coming. Hello there. Mindset Muse, that's, that's definitely an interesting term. How does one go about setting their mindset to be one thing or another? Well, I, I kind of picked um, with the Mindset Muse because everything that I've done, it's, it's a choice. You know, um, you, you can either let it get to you or you can make that choice to get through your day, to tackle any problem that hits hits your road. Um, you know, so I've I study a lot more on the mindset of how to to put people in the right place, the right order, the you know to to get through the adversities that they need to. So I'm I hit more of the mindset to help people, you know, able to to help with the adversities, to help with caregiving, to help with guiding the ones that need the help to move forward. You know, I, I recently advised people, um, if the person in your care is being really grouchy and difficult to deal with and maybe looking at you in anger, to do a silly little dance. And it might not change their mood, but it'll change yours. And I could almost hear people saying, yeah, right, Bobby, that's going to work. <laughs> but try it. I mean, it, it does work. It, it, it's amazing. It's, you know, anything that you can find that will give you a little bit of a smile, your whole body relaxes. 
your, you know, your demeanor changes. And yes, you know, my mom has dementia and my dad was the one that, that didn't want to see it. And he was the angry one that I had to deal with, you know, with his health problems also, you know, we had other things to deal with, but it was almost more fixing him and helping him come about with not being the angry one. You know, my mom, she's, she's a happy, happy person with dementia, you know, but you have to realize that not everything that she is saying is correct. So do your little dance, you know, find a way to, to bring out that smile or, or to bring that, that happy thing, you know, always have something with you that can make you, you know, feel better. You brought out an interesting point and it's not necessarily the person that's needing care who's having trouble seeing what's positive and enjoying life. It's very often the caregiver. And I see that and I hear that so often. Um, when we get involved with caregiving Facebook pages and, and caregiving support groups, a lot of the discussion is on how hard it is and how frustrated people are. And trying to move that conversation into, okay, we recognize it's hard. Let's see what we can do to make it a little better. Correct. You know, you're, you're so correct on that. You know, I, I was a caregiver for my son for many, many, many years. He um, is hard of hearing. So dealing with the school, dealing with getting hearing aids, getting him with frustrations, getting him through all of that, you know, to be able to where he is today. And then, you know, just, just dealing with my husband's cancer, you know, it was, it was, one frustration after the other. And on top of all of that, I had my parents to deal with and um, an aunt that I was helping my uncle take care of. So I know how hard it is for a caregiver to juggle all of that and to put it all into pieces. But I always found myself, or I didn't realize I found myself doing it. Someone else pointed it out to me that, that how I could have a smile. And that's you know, it's people need to be able to put things into place. They need to be able to, to say, okay, this is what's happening now. What can I do with it? Or, you know, this is what's happening now. And you have to organize yourself. You have to find a way to put it all into perspective so that you don't wear yourself out. Sandra, what would you say to, um, so let's say, siblings who are really having a hard time agreeing on treatment or care of a parent to keep them positive in dealing with each other, as opposed to swirling down that, that rabbit hole of just angst and tearing the family apart. I've seen it happen. Um, right. It, it happened to me. Um, my sister, my brother, was was okay with the changes that I was making because they both moved away. So I was the one de dealing with, you know, the day-to-day -day decisions and stuff like that. But my sister didn't want to see it. She fought and fought and fought and fought and couldn't understand why things were happening the way they were happening or, or why mom was in, um, you know, a nursing center versus being at home with dad. I actually had her come to terms and look at the situation and talk to as many people as she possibly could in her terms. I could point things out, but she didn't want to listen to me. 
she needed to see it for herself. She needed to be in my footsteps enough to know that it's it's not going to happen that way no matter how much you fight how much you you strongly accuse somebody it's not going to come out in your favor you have to realize and show them all the facts and finally get them to say okay this is the best you know and she finally she did come around she we sat down we cried we you know the realization i mean that was after she accused the nursing staff she accused you know me of not saying things she you know dad was telling her a different story than she, he was telling me you know so we had to sit down we had to cry it out we had to push through it but she had to have all the facts and be able to see it firsthand in order to make that decision. So just to make sure that I understand correctly, was there a third party involvement to kind of uh, walk her through instead of you? Yes and no. I mean, there was, okay. I mean, the nursing staff was trying to, was helping because, you know, she'd accused them of mama, mama's really good about, um, always wanting to move because that's what dad was telling her. Well, I'm going to move you back. I'm going to get you out of here. So she would take things and, and either barter them or hide them in places and not necessarily in her room. She'd hide them down the hall in somebody else's room. So, you know, the nurses would find things and then the nurses couldn't find things. So mom was, or my sister was accusing the nurses of taking things or, you know, saying that mom wouldn't do things like that. So, in a way, the nursing staff was my extra support in helping, helping her see why she was where she was at, why she needed the extra care. And a lot of resistance comes from family members who are scared. They don't want to see oh. this happen to the person that they love. And when you're dealing with a sibling, or a lot of times you're dealing with a parent they don't see you as the expert. They don't understand that you're the one that's there and you know the situation better than anyone else. They see you as the sibling or the daughter or the son. And what do you know? Uh, now, one oh, yeah. thing that, that I suggest for people whose um, family members don't understand what's happening, especially if the person in care is still at home, is to use those wonderful smartphones we have and videotape what's actually going on so they can see it. Because our loved ones have uh, an uncanny ability to present much better than they are when they're around people who aren't there all the time. And it's also like when our kids are in school and the teachers say, oh my goodness, Mrs. Carducci, you have the best behaved children and I wonder whose kids she's talking about because when they get home, they're holy terrors. I to so totally agree on all of that, you know, and, and tell my, my sister saw it firsthand. So yeah, if, if they're not able to come and sit in your shoes for a couple of days and yeah, definitely videotape it. Definitely. You know, like I, like I mentioned, my, my dad was telling my sister something besides what I was seeing and helping him do. And until she realized that, you know, yes, I like the video the video really seems to help 
you know, if they are not able to come. Now, you said that um, the nurses helped you out. And one of the things I've, I've spoken about uh, at a couple of conferences was you really have to build a relationship with doctors and nurses. That has to be something that you do so that everybody is on the same page as far as care and understanding their job, not from the aspect of you're a doctor or a nurse, but understanding they have somebody else that they need to get to, right. but also having all your concerns dealt with um, in a timely manner and building that relationship and that trust is so critically important. And apparently you found that. Yes. I, oh, I agree, you know, with everything that I was doing and, you know, it, with, with my husband too, I mean, we really, really got to know because you can be shuffled, you can be herded, you know, like kind of like cattle if you don't have that good relationship with the nursing staff, with your doctors, with everything, because yeah, a lot of people are the same, but every individual, just like everybody's different, their care is just that much different because people respond to things differently. People, you know, it, yeah. So if you don't have that relationship, you can't tweak things. You can't, right. you know, put things into a groove that makes everybody happy in that line. I mean. And getting the best care possible for your for the Correct. person that needs care. Correct. And the healthcare workers, whether it's a hospital or somebody that comes into your home for hospice or what it is, they deal with a lot of difficult people every single day. So if they come into your home and you greet them with a smile and you know, you form that friendship with them and it's it's a it's a form of intimate relationship when you're dealing with something like this then their response to you is going to be that much more positive as well. I had an amazing relationship with a, a nurse um, who was assigned to our case when uh, my father-in-law was being treated through the VA hospital. And we had a telehealth um, computer where his um, vital signs were measured every day and went right into his chart at the hospital. And Jason and I bonded so well. I mean, if I saw something, I could call him, and, and or he saw something, he would call me. And he was my intermediary with, uh, with some of the doctors who had no idea who was this woman who was calling concerned about something. But he could say, she's, she's on top of it. She knows you can trust her. And having that kind of relationship definitely added to his care. Okay. I have a response with that. Um, I had a couple things, you know, when you're when you're dealing with hospice, when you're dealing with um, doctors and different things. If you do, like you said, come in with a smile, come into the house, welcome them, get them to know you, get them to know all the little different responses. Then, when there is something wrong, it'll be noticeable. They'll be able to say, "Oh." okay, we need to step on this instead of everything being a disaster all the time, then they're not going to know when to step it up and when not to. And they might, you know, it's kind of like when you cry wolf after a while, 
it, it doesn't work all that well. Right. We used to have a saying before I retired, if everything's an emergency, then nothing's an emergency. You know, an example of how having that kind of relationship works, there was a time when uh, my father-in-law was, he was in the hospital. He was within a day or two of coming home when Mike was injured and, and hurt his back. And uh, I was exhausted, and, and I talked to the hospital, and I said, please keep Roger for, for a few more days because I can't handle them both at the same time. And because they knew that I wasn't somebody who, was, who cried wolf and I had this relationship, they said, sure, we will do that. Um, I don't imagine that could happen all the time, but it, it definitely worked for us. No. But when you do know someone and you do know your your doctors and you know how they respond to things um we had we had to go to the emergency room and they put him in the hospital but with cancer it's different than just going to the hospital with an infection so i had to argue with some of the doctors in there saying i know this i know how this works you know and the doctor actually accused me of not being a nurse and not knowing what I'm doing until he actually talked to my other doctor and said, um, I'm sorry, I guess you do know a little bit more. So, you know, it is good. And your doctors are there to fight for you, to fight with you if you know them well enough. Yeah, Bobby never had any arguments <laughs> or debates with uh, doctors or medical staff. Never, never. Mm -mm -mm. Well, until they got to know me and realized who they were dealing with. You know, I, I just told them, you have hundreds of patients. I have one. And I'm here to take see to it that mine gets the best possible care. I, I imagine that some of them were a little bit scared of me, but that, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. But I was never mean about it. I was never ugly about it. It was always, let's work this out together. And we had somebody that had so many different things going on at the same time. And if he was on the on the medical ward, they weren't necessarily paying attention to his dementia or psychiatric needs and vice versa. So I had to call them together and say, listen, this is a this is a very interesting, complicated case. I need us all on board. I need us all talking together. And I don't want to be the screaming Carducci, but I will be if I need to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once they realized that was the case, they didn't want me screaming uh, <laughs> and pre preferred my smile. And, and that's, what, that's what we got moving forward. Well, when my dad was in the hospital, he was, every time I went up there, he was on a different floor. I couldn't find him. And then all of a sudden he was moved to a nursing home and I'm going, um, there were notes everywhere. They were supposed to call me. They were supposed to, to run it all by me, you know, because by then dad hadn't, you know, gotten anything done with power of attorneys or anything like that, you know, and I, I, I was fighting for myself to have control, even though I didn't have control and that made it even worse. So, you know, in my book, I've, I've talked to people about getting that power of attorney form, get that, way to help them because the the power of attorney for dad was mom who was in a nursing home it was i mean that didn't help either so get that you know and convey all of that with the hospitals and whatnot and yeah that was that was a nightmare for a couple months for when dad went to the hospital we preach often 
and loud that you really need to prepare and do the things in advance like the power of attorney, the medical power of attorney, the financial power of attorney, and all those type of things, advanced medical directives, and have all those things in place. And we preach that all the time. And that's a classic example. You're powerless, and they can yeah. do what they want. And it's also a way of, you know, taking that pressure off and making it easier for you to have oh, yeah. a positive attitude. It, it, now, there are days when I'm sure even someone like yourself gets overwhelmed and it, it might take you a day or two to get back to seeing things from a positive point of view. I did a lot of crying, a lot of praying, and oh, I yeah. did some or really ugly the, crying the really during big that time. M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> you, go, you go for the chocolate, <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate or the wine, but then Touché. the wine gives you the headache. So it's easier with the, you know, with the chocolate. So, you know, so yeah, I do agree. <laughs> but Touché. I know I'm, I have been asked a couple of times to, you know, all the things that I figured out that I had to do. So in the back of my book, I have a bonus chapter that says 101 things you never thought you needed to know. And it, it has, it, it saved me getting, you know, power of attorney forms and that there's things that you can do before death and all this kind of stuff to get yourself organized. And then there's things to do afterwards. And then there's just some fun things that I threw in there just because you don't think about things, you know, and yeah, uh, what do you do with all of their stuff when they move into a nursing home? You know, do do you want it? Do they not want it? You know, is it a keepsake? Is it something that they can have? You know, it's, there's a, there's a lot to think about in this kind of a helping situation. Very much so. I know, um, when my mom passed and we took my dad and he was very adamant about getting the powers of attorney. And in doing that, we sat down and talked about medical power of attorney with life support and all that kind of good stuff and do not resuscitate. And he was very adamant because he dealt with it with my grandmother. And so he didn't want us to go through what he went through for four months, settling the estate and going through probate. Um, with, is this really her son? Yeah. <laughs> type you got of lucky. Deal. So yeah, we were pretty fortunate that we had all that at the very, very beginning. Um, he came in with us in 2002 and he didn't pass until 2009, but that was all in place in 2002. I'm kind of going to put you on the spot here, Sandy. Um, if somebody is deeply into how difficult this is, and, you know, I see and hear caregivers saying, I hate this, I can't do this another minute, um, and they're not in the position where they can bring in help and, and or place the person in their care, what's the first thing that you would advise them to do in order to um, turn that around and not just see the negative? What, what's the first bit of advice that you would give that person? You know, I'd have to sit down with that How person. How about that? Put really, you on the spot. I know that you did, you did there. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's something that they get thrown into. And, and as you guys know, a lot of us get thrown into it. We don't like it. We're opposed to it. 
we feel forced, you know, I've, I've said that word many times and I get a lot of flack saying that, um, but it's the truth. I mean, people do not want to do this. People just, they fight it tooth and nail. So what I would do is I would, I would take that person and just sit down with them and, and look at the whole situation, figure out really what they're capable of. Cause it's amazing how much people are capable of. They're capable of a lot more than they think they are. They just have to have that mindset to bring them that strength, you know? So if we can find a strength that they have and then find the help that they need for the strengths that they don't have, you know, and there's a lot of resources out there. We just have to find them the right one. But I think if you can help someone dig down deep inside themselves, I think they're a lot more capable of doing something. I would have to agree. And I think one of the things that I would do in in that situation, and as a caregiving consultant, I frequently do, is just say, what's going on in your world right now? And just listen and say, oh my God, no wonder you're feeling overwhelmed. Who would not in that situation? You are doing something so hard for 24 hours a day, for days on end, because so often those people have nobody who understands. And once they can download a lot of that, then we can take the first step, the second step, and and go forward from there. Um, But simply saying, oh, of course, of course you feel like that. Mm -hmm. Because a number of us, myself included, feel bad about our own feelings. Oh, yeah, I know we do. You know, and and, and for me, I was working full time, (laughs) taking care of four people, plus I had two kids, you know, one was still at home, one was one was in college, one was, you know, just out, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, so I had to deal with all of that. I had to deal with their father. I had to deal with their emotions, my emotions, you know, and sibling emotions, yet still get the care that the people needed. So I know people can be totally overwhelmed, and they just want to throw their hands up in the air and say, I quit everything and just walk off. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that. I mean, you've, it just, it's always going to be there if you don't tackle it. So, yeah, I agree. So before we close, I understand that you are a self-described lover of inspirational (laughs) quotes. So I'm going to put you on the spot (laughs) (laughs) since she did. I'm going to put you on the spot and say, would you, Give us an inspirational quote to close the show. I can do that. My favorite quote of all time is, life isn't about creating something. Life is about creating yourself. And I always think that's right because, like I said earlier, you have more strength inside of yourself. And once you find that, you can be happy no matter what adversity hits your plate. So... I'm always trying to 
to strive on creating more that I can give other people. So yeah, life isn't about creating something. It's about creating yourself. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. And, and Sandy, thank you so much for being a guest on this show. Oh, it was fun. You've been a joy. Thank you. <laughs> you know, her, her positive tone, her, her positive way of expressing things, I think that in itself inspires the people that she deals with and um, offered a number of suggestions for our listeners today. It kind of reminds me of Inspire Until I Expire that we heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things we talked about early on is sometimes a third-party involvement is necessary, and that goes hand-in-hand hand with building a relationship with the um, uh, doctor, uh, the medical staff um, that I've spoken about in the past. And... Um, also getting the care team in place, but also getting the ducks in a row to be a caregiver, right? Prepare to care as you speak about with your presentations that she didn't have that. Therefore, she didn't have control over what was going on in the, in the care facilities. Mm-hmm. Anything Absolutely. else that you had? Um, no, I think that's all that I had down there. But I, I, I would like to remind people that if you know somebody's being really crabby, just do a silly dance, and it may not change their attitude, but it'll change yours. There you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, are you are you speaking of my dancing? Uh, no, no, um, no, nothing like that. Mm -mm. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I was just curious there for a second because you know I've heard people say that I do the locomotions really good. <laughs> okay, I had, I had not heard that specific piece of information, but I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> you can find more information about Sandra, her book, and her website on our show, website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show. Go to iTunes or the Roger That Facebook page and post a review. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. If you would like your identity to remain private, you can direct message your question on Facebook and we will answer. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that, dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. 
To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.